to the Fempire Diaries podcast. This podcast is for both aspiring and current female entrepreneurs looking for either guidance or support as we break down doors and shatter glass ceilings. We can do it alone or we can be unstoppable together. I am your host, Anna Marie. Let's do this. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I guess for you here uh, on midday. So it's actually (laughs) afternoon for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I just finished having breakfast. (laughs) Oh, I've already gotten like almost everything done for my day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram stories that you're very busy today. (laughs) Yeah. I get up early in the morning, too. So I get a lot of things done. (laughs) See, that's something I need to work on. I feel like I am just one of those people that needs a lot of sleep. And if I don't get sleep, then I end up, like, crying midday because I'm so tired, like a five-year-old. I have, like, emotional temper tantrums. I go to bed pretty early as is, but my dogs get me up early, and then I'm just out. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. I get that. I get that. And, I mean, I do have, like, a morning routine, but my morning routine starts at, like, 7 or 7.30 rather than, like, 5, like all these other people. Yeah, for sure. Like, whatever, I can work later than other people. My brain, right. for some reason, like, doesn't even turn on till like, 1 in the afternoon anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, mine's better early in the morning. I'm a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Maybe I'll become a morning person when I have a doc to wake me up or kids to get me up in the morning. True. Yeah. I think I'll probably be forced to become a morning person at that point. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Why don't yeah. I introduce us? Okay. Um, welcome to the Sunfire Diaries podcast. I am your host, Anna Marie. Today we have a very special guest, Sarah Ordo. She Hello. is a six-time author, self-published. You can buy all of her books on Amazon, and we're here to talk about her story. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today and chat. Um, as you said, I am a six-time self-published author. I have a YouTube channel with Beauty and Lifestyle. I have a podcast called Her Best Fucking Life. I have a business here in the Detroit area that I own and run and do all makeup for. It's called 24 Lux Hair and Makeup. So I'm also a makeup artist. I do a lot of things. I do a little bit of coaching. I do a lot of female empowerment workshops. I'm kind of all over the place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You really are all over the place. You like to keep yourself very, very busy. I do. Um, I, I like to have, like, a lot of things going on for sure. Which I, I definitely admire. I, I like to stay busy um, until it gets to a point in which I'm overwhelmed and that anxiety takes over. And then I'm like, okay, I need to scale back. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so funny. I am always someone that has so many things on my plate all the time. And the moment I get to that, like, breaking point of, like, oh, my gosh, I really need to, like, scale back. I just take something off my plate and then add three more things on. Like, yeah, same. Yep, I do the same thing. It's, um, it's a, yeah, it's probably a really unhealthy habit now that I think about it. Yeah, I, I have to check myself from time to time. I do. Um, I have been following your story for, I don't know, the past three years on Instagram. You're very active in your stories. And what I love about you is that you're so authentic about your journey and about your story. It's one of the things that immediately kind of, I I guess, attracted, not in like a pretty way, but like a a magnet, you know, magnetism kind of way. Um, I just love people that are willing to go deep, willing to expose themselves, willing to say like, hey, guys, I'm human. Right. And I think a lot of people are so afraid to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of, especially on social media, there's a lot of people that only put out the perfect, the un, like the edited, you know, everything's good here. I'm so successful. And they don't want to talk about the sides of us that make us human. And so that's something I have always been really passionate about because it's, it's unrealistic. And when you see, right. when you see people that everything's going great and they're so happy and they're so successful all the time and they don't show any real side of themselves, I think it ultimately makes the people watching feel bad about themselves and question what they're doing and compare themselves to them and think that they're doing something wrong. So I've always been very on top of that, that I've always wanted to stay very authentic and real with the people that follow me. Right. And I think it also makes people feel like they're a little less alone. 
Right. Yep. It's, it's more relatable. They see that they're not the only person going through things. Because, you know, when you go through shit, it's easy to feel lonely and hopeless and like you're the only one. Right, right. Now, you have a a pretty spectacular story, and I don't even know where to start with it. But let's start with um, your hair and makeup business. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about... Um, why you got started doing hair and makeup and, uh, you know, how long you've been doing it. Let's, let's hear that. So I've always had like a big interest in the beauty industry. I've always been into hair and makeup and all that stuff. And I originally started, I started going to college for a bachelor's degree in psychology and I was working as a receptionist at a hair salon part time while I was going to school because I knew someone that worked there. And I just remember one day, like, sitting there and telling my manager, I was like, I think I might want to, like, do this. Like, I might want to do hair or something. Like, maybe I want to go to cosmetology school. And my parents actually told me no. <laughs> they, cause I was they told you no? They're like, yeah, no, you cannot just... live your dream. You cannot pursue your interests or passions. They were <laughs> literally like, you're living at home and we're helping you pay for this. So, no, you're going to get a degree. And I remember, like, crying in my bedroom. I was so pissed and being like well you know what like watch me I'm one of those people if you tell me I can't do something like I'm going to be rebellious and do it (laughs) yeah so I went to the bank I took out a small loan and signed myself up for beauty school and I said okay fine I'll take night classes while I go to beauty school so that I'm going to college so I I literally went to beauty school full-time during the week and then I took night classes and like an online class at the college I was going to in Michigan. And then literally I was like working at the hair salon as a receptionist on the weekends and go-go dancing at a nightclub on Friday nights because I was totally out of my mind then. But (laughs) I was doing all of that. And then I literally finished beauty school, was working at the salon. I finished school. And by the time I finished my degree, I'd actually switched to part-time at the salon and I was teaching preschool and literally, I oh my gosh. <laughs> got my de- right. I got my degree, and then within like two months, I was like, "Yeah, I'm not coming back for the next school year. <laughs> I'm done." You lived realized, like six different lives already. <laughs> I, I really have. I've had like 20 different lives, but no, I really like realized I could have wasted a lot of. I could have not wasted so much time and money if I would have just gone with what I originally wanted to do and not listen to everyone else, because ultimately I was like, no, I still want to do hair and makeup. I'm doing it on the weekends. I'm working seven days a week just to keep doing something I want to do. Right. And, and like, also like, pleasing your parents, you know? You're right. Like, and, and so I ultimately made the choice to leave teaching completely and started my business. And that was how that all started. And I started it six, I think, it, yeah, six years ago this spring. So right now. Um, but it's been amazing. I love doing makeup. I love working with weddings and my company has done very successful. Thankfully, we've done really well. I have a lot of talented people. We've won like all the best of awards for our area for the past like five or six years consecutively. Oh so my gosh, that's awesome. we are very, we do a very good job. We work very hard and we're very talented at what we do. Um, so yeah, the business has been very successful and I feel like that's the least of what everyone knows me for. Right, right. Well, I always knew that you were a hairstylist and a makeup artist, and I, mm-hmm. I think I may have originally found you because I was looking at wedding hairstyles or wedding makeup. As you know, I'm engaged, but we all know how it is. Like, I got engaged in February, but let's get real. I was looking at venues like a year before that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Everyone um, is. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's also because I'm, you know, a very type A. I'm a planner. I like organization. I like marking things off my checklist. Right. So for me, it was like, well, I have all of this time right now waiting for this engagement that I know is going to happen. But, you know, and instead of, like, getting sad that the engagement hasn't happened yet, like, let's channel this energy into just looking at things and just getting a better idea of what my, you know, 28-year-old self wanted in a wedding because, yeah. That's very different than, like, what Mm -hmm. my 12-year-old self or my 20-year-old self, um, you know, as we mature, we just want different things. Um, I remember I wanted this, like, huge elaborate wedding with, like, this big Cinderella ballroom skirt, 
And now I'm like, do we really need tablecloths? <laughs> oh, I'm the really same. <laughs> That's exactly how I am with it because we're getting married um, in just under a year. And originally I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get married at this place. It's going to be so pretty. And we're literally doing a destination Me- like Mexico wedding now. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> Two of my best friends just did a destination Mexico wedding. And I think... They invited like 150, but like only 50 people showed up, but it was Mm -hmm. so, so nice. It was this like five-star all-inclusive resort. We were there for like six days and only one of the days was really spent on like wedding stuff. So like even me and my fiance got an amazing vacation out of it. Right. And I'm like, that's what I tell everyone. I'm like, plan it as a fucking vacation. You only have to oh, yeah. for those like three hours. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they gave us like enough time to like pay for everything and plan for everything. Yeah. But it was so nice. It was like hitting a reset button on our life. Yeah. Me and my fiance were like, we need to do this once a year because. Oh, for sure. Just to like, and I told him like, it's like not even about like the vacation part, but because it was all inclusive, we didn't even have to like, you know, when you go to dinner with a whole bunch of like people and you're like, okay, well you got this and you got this. Should we just split mm-hmm. it eight ways? Like, what do we do? And it's like, even that just being out of the equation made going to dinner so much more relaxing. Yeah. I love all inclusive. So my favorite. I am into it. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough about wedding talk. Man. Right. It's because we're both like balls deep in the wedding planning process right now, but it's like, right. I have what I call this uh, bride brain mm-hmm. uh, where I can't focus on anything because I'm juggling, you know, a business and a podcast and wedding planning all at the same time. It's like, ah, right. <laughs> Just shows you that uh, organization is key. <laughs> right. Amen. Um, I want to talk about your story. So you're almost four years sober. When is your sober birthday again? It is May 25th. So it is actually next weekend. <laughs> next week. Ah, yeah. That is so exciting. I'm I so proud of you. Four years. I, it's Man. crazy. It, it feels like it hasn't been four years, but then it feels like it has been four years. Right. And you're like, I've actually been present this entire time because I've oh, been yeah. sober. I'm yep. experiencing things way more than I ever was. I, I can imagine it would feel like 25 years. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Like, it went by quickly, but then I also realized, like, how different these four years have been and how much my life has changed. And it's like, yeah, that was four years. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about that, too, because you've come so far and you've done so many great things since you've been sober. Um, Mm -hmm. Can we talk about, can we talk about a little bit, whatever you're comfortable with, of course, talk about the night that you decided um, or that week that you decided, like, okay, this is time for me to make a change, you know? Yeah, so I was always a big partier, binge drinker. I went out a lot with my friends. I was a party animal. And we always, I was, like, kind of into the whole, like, EDM, electronic music scene. And we always went to a lot of, like, festivals and, like, underground and after-hours things. And so we went to this festival in downtown Detroit that we would go to every year. And I was pre-gaming it, per usual, drank a ridiculous amount of alcohol, continued drinking in line with people we met in line, and then actually ended up, once I got inside, continuing to drink. And then at some point when I was completely blacked out, I took a handful of pills from someone I didn't know. Um, It was just a random guy there. And I had, you know, recreationally done drugs as I was partying. You know, it wasn't like a new thing to me, but I never would have done something like that had I been sober. I would have never taken a random handful of pills that I didn't know what they were from a person that I didn't know who he was. Right. Um, but I literally, my friends like told me afterwards, they were like, you really just like shoveled a handful of pills into your mouth and you took them. And oh yeah, so I ultimately took a like, lethal combination and dose of a bunch of shit, um, including ketamine, which is commonly found in, like, animal tranquilizers, and Molly and MDMA and all this stuff. And on top of the already such, like, a toxic level of alcohol I had in my system, my body completely started shutting down. So they, um, someone I was with, I collapsed on the concrete, and they had to run me out of the festival. He was, like, carrying me and running with my body. 
And um, they ultimately had to get me to like the medic tent there. And then they had to call an ambulance and I had to be taken by ambulance to a hospital in Detroit. And I went into a seizure at some point in the ambulance and bit halfway through my tongue. And then they, my, my pulse was like so low and it was faint because my body was just literally shutting down. Like it couldn't handle everything. I'm sure your body was just confused. They're like, do we, oh, do yeah. we want to be high right now? Like, do we want to be? <laughs> yeah, it was like upper, downer, and then such high levels of them that it was just completely, and I'm small. I am five feet tall, like 115 pounds. Like, I'm a tiny girl. <laughs> so that right. was a lot. Even and, for a grown man, that's a lot. Right. And I mean, just to think of someone that small taking that much, it's like, oh, my God. But I ultimately woke up in the emergency. Well, I wasn't in the emergency room anymore, but they had moved me out. But I was hooked up with all these EKG sensors and wires and IVs because I had almost gone into cardiac arrest when my heart rate got back to normal. It ended up shooting, like, sky high, and they thought I was going to have a stroke or something. Like, it was absolutely insane. So that was the night. Yeah, that was definitely the night that caused me to get sober because, like, the nurses and the doctors there were straight up, like, your body was shutting down and we don't know how you pulled through this. Like, they just flat out told me that. They were like, I don't know how you got out of this. Like, you are, your body was literally just shutting down on itself. Like, you were going to be gone. And so, like, hearing that I almost could be dead, that I could not be here anymore, was a very big, like, slap in the face and a very big wake-up call. Wow. Did you have a friend or anybody that stayed with you, like, after you were ambulance to the hospital? Did you have someone just supporting you? And because I, I know you said your mom was, like, three hours away out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have somebody with you? I was with some friends at the festival. Um, mm-hmm. They were not allowed to come in the ambulance because they weren't family. So oh no one was with me from the point I got into the ambulance until hours later. Um, so no one actually was there with me through all of that stuff. So everything I know was just what the doctors and nurses told me when I was conscious again. Because I, when I woke up, one of my friends that wasn't with me, a different friend that wasn't even with us, was sitting next to my hospital bed. And I had oh no idea God. how she had gotten there. Like, what was, I literally looked at her and was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I had no idea where I was, what had happened. Like, how did you um, know I was here? I didn't even know I was here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so someone had gotten a hold of her at some point and told her I was there. And she lived downtown. So she came to the hospital. Um, and, yeah, my mom was up north. She was three hours away at our cottage and barely any cell phone service. And one of my friends had called someone that had my friend, my mom's phone number. And... She had told her, like, I don't know what's going on. They called. They said that Sarah's in the hospital. And then my mom's in the hospital, and they won't tell her anything over the phone. So You're my like, mom's three family. hours away. <laughs> yeah, my mom's three hours away. I'm in the hospital, and for all she knows, I'm dead. Oh so it gosh. was a very, yeah, it was a very scary situation. And I think that was the worst part was knowing how scared, I, how much I scared other people and how worried they were for me and how they were trying to find out if I was alive. Like, it was just, it was not okay. That must have been really scary for you, too, to wake up in that hospital. And, like, I'm sure there's probably parts of that night you remember and then parts of that night that you don't. Like, mm-hmm. just trying to piece it all together on your own and think, like, what the hell happened to get me here? Right. Um, right. That must yeah, have been I, terrifying. I, it was. I have little, like, because I was so blacked out and so fucked up. Like, I have little flashes of that night that kind mm-hmm. of are dark, but I can, like, remember, like, things I heard or, like, just little things. Mm-hmm. I remember being at the festival, and I remember sitting on the cement and someone, like, looking at me and being, like, Sarah, Sarah. And I remember just, like, staring, like, blankly, like, almost, like, through them. Like, I couldn't even, like, focus on them. And then, I'm like, the, I know that's my name, but I can't <laughs> right. respond to you right now. <laughs> yeah. And the, honestly, the only other thing I remember before I woke up and was literally pulling IVs out of my arms. I remember when I was in the ambulance, I couldn't see anything. Like, I have no, like, vision memory from that time, but I remember feeling that I was, like, being held down by my chest. Mm. And I didn't didn't know if it was, like, I'm assuming now I was strapped down, but I remember at the time thinking someone was, like, holding me down. Oh, gosh, that's so scary. But I'm, I'm assuming I was, you know, strapped down into a 
uh, stretcher, like, in an ambulance. And I remember, like, I kept trying to, like, pull, like, sit up almost. And I remember someone just being like, no, stop. Like, what did you take? What did you take? And I was, like, trying to sit up, and I couldn't. That was the only other thing I could kind of even remember. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, So uh, all, like, all the people in your, you know, circle, they – were obviously worried for you. They were obviously scared. And that is what ultimately made you decide, like, okay, I need to make a change. Um, mm-hmm. tell, me, tell me about that moment of clarity. Was it in the hospital? Was it at home? Let's talk it about wasn't, that. Yeah, it wasn't until the next day, to be honest. I, when I got out of the hospital, I actually tried to convince the friend that was with me that we should go to an after-hours party because <laughs> I was still so, like, out of it and, like, kind of fucked yeah. up. Um, and thank God she didn't, like, she took me, she was like, no, we're going to go get something to eat at my place. Like, we're going to go to my place. We're going to go take a nap. (laughs) Right. So I actually, like, it didn't even really hit me until I went to my mom's the next day. And like the first time I saw my mom and she was obviously crying hysterically Mm -hmm. and freaking out and, you know, like holding me and crying. And I was just like, oh my God, I scared the shit out of my mom. Like I, she could have lost her daughter. You know, the worst feeling. The worst yeah, feeling. and that's not okay. And then the the other thing that really hit me was when I had to, I was I stayed at my mom's that next night, and I remember sitting there and like typing out apology messages to all of the people that had been freaking out, trying to figure out if I was okay. Yeah, and I remember sending them messages, being like, "I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry I put you in this position. I'm sorry. Like, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna change. Like, I know this isn't okay." And so right. that was really, like, when it all was, like, okay, like, this wasn't just another crazy weekend with a story to tell. Like, this was way too much. Right. And were they were they pretty accepting of those apologies? I mean, like, oh yeah, uh, were I they mean, pretty responsive? They were. And I think, you know, I can imagine a lot of them probably were thinking, like, okay, is she really going to stop drinking? Is she really going to change? Like, you know, because somebody says that, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. But, I mean, sometimes you don't believe people until you see it. So I can imagine totally. they probably were thinking, like, okay, is she really going to do this? But, I mean, they all were very accepting of the apologies. They weren't, you know, That's mean great. or anything like that. Right. And it's like, even if they had, like, even if they were skeptical, you know, after you saying, like, I need to make a change, even if they were skeptical, like, it wouldn't have been supportive for them to be like, I don't believe that for a second, you know, right. like, mm-hmm. like that wouldn't have helped at all. I feel like, you know, if anyone has an addiction and they are seeing, you know, they're either asking for help or they're trying to take responsibility or accountability, the best thing that we can do is, okay, like, how can I help you do that? You know, right. Um, um, uh, how were the first couple of months like uh, after you decided to get sober? I'm sure that there was a lot of, like coping mechanisms and things you had to learn um, differently. I mean, your life was different if you weren't, you know, partying or go-go dancing or going to these music festivals. I mean, how was that? Did you, did you just have, did you have trouble like figuring out like what is life after sobriety? (laughs) I can imagine that would be like being reborn again. So the first few months I honestly tried to continue living the exact same way and just not drink. Yeah. I was being, you know, I was very naive. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to not drink. I'll be fine. Like, I can do this. And I thought I was literally just going to continue to live the same life and just not drink. And, you know, for a couple of months, I would still go out with my friends and go to the bars and dance and stuff. And I would just be sober and be the DD. And it was funny because I would be like, I would be like oh, my God, that's so cool. You can still go out and do that. And then at two in the morning when I like dropped all my friends off, like I would drive home hysterically crying and having like a panic attack because I was like putting myself in front of the thing that I was trying to stay away from that almost killed me. And, you know, I, I did try to keep living the same way for a while. And at some point I finally just realized like things had to start changing. And once I was like, like six months to a year sober was really a dark and kind of hard time for me because I think that's when like everything really started to sink in and I realized how much I had to change and how much was going to be different. I realized I wasn't going to have all the same friends. Like I realized I wasn't going to be doing the same things and it was a, it was a really hard time to go through. 
Right. Because it's not just the fact that you're not drinking anymore. It's the fact that, you know, your schedule changes, your lifestyle changes, your friends have to change. And not because those things were bad, but just because those people or those places put you in situations where now maybe it was compromising your sobriety, you know. Right. Not yeah. compromising, but tempting you a little bit too much. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. you're you're looking at the magical elixir and they're like, mm, don't drink it. Don't drink it. Like, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, it's like playing with fire. <laughs> you're playing with fire. It's like, you know, Adam and Eve and the apple. Like, don't yeah. eat the apple. Yeah. Eve ate the apple eventually. She was surrounded by apple cheese. <laughs> apple tree. Right. <laughs> uh, this dark moment, this, like, dark period of time where you were having this realization of, like, okay, this is going to be harder than I thought. This is going to take a lot more out of me if I want to continue staying sober. Um, What do you think was like the catalyst that really helped you get through that period? Um, I honestly, I, at that point I was still heavily leaning on like relationships. So I definitely leaned on a lot of like men to help get me through that, which ultimately didn't help get me through that. But I think at the time I was, so desperate to try to find something like constant in my life that wasn't going to go away or get taken away. Yeah. Um, Support. So I, yeah. <laughs> so I heavily leaned on men and dating and relationships, which was a horrible idea, but you know, it wasn't until, cause I mean, I didn't start going to therapy, which was one of the biggest helps for me until I was almost a year sober, which I can't even believe I made it that far sometimes without wow. losing my shit. I know. You did, you did an entire year sober completely on your own. There's a lot of people that I can't do that. That's hard. That's really I hard. I know. And I know, like, for anyone listening to this, that is not the norm. Like, please don't think you can do that because I was depressed. I was struggling. Like, that's not the healthy way to do it. How soon do you think people should get into therapy when they decide to be sober? Probably immediately. Immediately. Like, I became sober yeah. and tomorrow I'm going into therapy. And the thing is, like, therapy is not the thing that will be the most successful thing for everyone or the most impactful thing for everyone. For some people, AA is, like, their backbone. And they go to AA meetings all the time regularly, and that helps them so much. Some people, it's therapy. For me, it was because I knew there was a lot more, like, deep-rooted issues for why I was drinking the way I was drinking. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to figure that shit out because I knew it was something in making me do it um but you know some people do church some people there's so many different resources and there's so much help out there that I think everyone mm-hmm. just kind of has to figure out what's going to work the best for them right and even just finding a therapist that you like is and you know that gets you that you don't feel judged by or you know that's hard too I mean it is I went to therapy when I was in high school because I later found out that I'm a highly sensitive person, but uh, people that are very, you know, sensitive or empathetic have a hard time communicating their emotions. And instead of communicating, they end up, you know, having these crazy, like, manic moments because they're not feeling understood. And I remember I probably had to go through, like, four or five different therapists before I actually found the one that I really Mm -hmm. liked and that actually helped me and I didn't feel, like, was talking down to me um, that, you know, I felt like was actually giving me the tools that worked for me rather than this like blanket, like you need to express yourself more. No. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I did. You definitely have to find someone you mesh with for sure. I love my therapist now. I've been going to her for years, but it's definitely like my mom tried to send me to therapy for drinking when I was like 17. And I remember going like once or twice and being like, yeah, I'm not going to this anymore. He's like, I'm cured, mom. It only took two sessions. (laughs) Well, that, and I was just like, I don't like this lady. Nothing is helping. I'm not, this isn't changing anything. Like it just didn't fit. So I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Therapy is almost like, you got to treat it like dating. Like if you don't like them on the first date, like find a new one, even like three dates in, find a new one. And they won't be offended, at least from what I know, from my experience, they haven't been upset or offended when I've said, like, I need to find somebody that's going to help me differently. Um, But I think that's probably a reason why a lot of people don't stay in therapy is because their relationship with their therapist just isn't good. You know, they don't don't feel heard or they don't feel seen or they're just not helping. 
Yep. Which is okay. I feel like each therapist has their own skill sets and their own strengths. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, not to say that like therapists are bad, but we just all have our own skill sets and we have to mesh with the right person. Right. So your, your first book, Sober AF, or mm-hmm. Sober as Fuck, is that what you, do you call it? Sober as Fuck? I call it it's Sober as Fuck, yeah. Sober as Fuck, okay. <laughs> But on Amazon, it has a little stars. <laughs> yeah, Amazon. Well, I honestly, I've never tried to put something on the Amazon with the word written out, but I'm assuming they would frown upon that. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, like, this is explicit material. I don't know who we're right. going to show this to. Uh, At least know. you know going into it that it's going to be inappropriate. <laughs> I, I love the title because it's just like, I'm fucking sober. Like, <laughs> like yeah, so, like the it's. So real, just starting from the title, it's like, and it, you can hear it in the title, like, this is a hard thing for me to talk about. This is something I'm still going through. Like, I can mm-hmm. hear that in the title. It's like, ugh, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I wanted the story to be, like, real and raw, and I wanted to be completely myself, and I swear I'm not some prim and proper, like, you know, I'm not one of those yeah. people. So for me, it was like, no, this this title is me. This title is this story. Like it fits it well. Yeah. So, um, how did you come up with the idea for this book? So I actually had a dream where I was in like a room somewhere or something. And I found a book on the floor, like by a table and I Mm -hmm. picked it up and I started flipping through the pages and it was all pictures of me, like back when I was drinking, like pictures of me, like all glassy eyed and drunk and partying. And mm-hmm. then I was flipping through this book and I was like, oh my God, like these are, this is my book. Like these, this is my words and my story. And I literally, I'm so big on like signs and things from the universe that I remember I went to therapy the next day and I was like, so I guess I should write a book. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And that was how it started though. I was like, and my therapist was honestly like, you know what? Writing is very therapeutic. It might help you to kind of get it all out and write it all down, even if you don't do right. anything with it. And then it was kind of like, okay. And once I started doing it, though, it was like, okay, but what if I actually could do this? And what if people actually wanted to read it? And that was how it happened. And you know what? The the book was probably always in your future. but sometimes. And I do also believe that the universe sends us signs, whether it's the universe, God, whatever, it's like maybe that, you know, that dream came when it needed to to give you a little bit of a push. Like maybe those words were always inside of you and that was always kind of part of your journey. Mm-hmm. And that dream was like, all right, time to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, and the crazy thing is like none of this would have ever happened had I not got sober. Right. Like I would have never written a book. I wouldn't do, be doing anything I'm doing right now. You wouldn't have written six books. Uh, I literally, I don't I know anyone I've written more. Doing, I wouldn't be doing shit right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your podcast. Is it also uh, based around sobriety or we talk about it's Her Best Fucking Life podcast? Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. It's called Her Best Fucking Life. Um, so it's, I talk about sobriety on it sometimes, but it's not only sobriety because I did want to keep it more entertaining, you know, female empowerment. I didn't want it to be just about being sober. I didn't want to, like, exclude anyone that wasn't sober to feel like they couldn't listen to it. So I talk about a lot of things. I swear a lot. I'm very honest. It's very, like, the things that the friend tells you that you know you need to hear but you don't want to hear. I like to always keep that vibe. And I have a lot of awesome um, women come on that I interview that have really interesting stories. So, the podcast has been a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing it a lot. I totally understand. I really enjoy hosting this podcast as well. I feel like it's yeah. helping me connect with so many people. It does. Um, it brings in so many more people like into your circle that you wouldn't normally have connected with. Right, right, totally. Um, and I like that it's not just about sobriety because there is so much more to you than being sober, you know? Right. There are so many things that you identify with. You have passions and interests and a real life and real feelings and all of these things. Like, yeah, okay, you're sober and what? Like, <laughs> you Right. Know? And that's always been super important to me that I've always wanted to create that kind of like new image and picture for like a woman that's sober in today's world. Cause mm-hmm. I think so many people have that stereotype image of someone that's sober as being like, 
homeless or sick or can't hold a job or, you know, like they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. Like right. they have this, this image of what a sober person is. Mm-hmm. And it's always been very important to me to show that, yes, I'm sober, but like look at all the things I'm doing. And just because I'm sober doesn't mean that I can't be all of these things in my life at the same time. So I've, right. I do it on the podcast and I, I really wanted to show more sides of myself than just my sobriety just so people, once again, are kind of reminded, like, yeah, she's the sober girl, but, like, she also has all this other shit to offer, too, and all these other things that she's doing. Right. There's just more to you than just that one, you know, this one struggle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think sometimes we, you know, stereotype sober, people that are sober as, like, people that are just constantly struggling, and you're like, yeah, some days are harder than others, but... Um, I think it's also really important that we give other women and other people in general just a representation of someone who is sober and successful. Like, look, you guys can get sober and super successful and be six-time published author on Amazon as well. And you're, you're, you're giving people that representation, you know, yeah. which I think is so, so important. Um, writing, writing sober as fuck must have been so hard and I mean that in a sense of, like, um, because you are telling kind of all the, the dirty details of, of your story and things mm-hmm. that you've gone through, like, how, how were you feeling when you were kind of exposing yourself like this? Um, it was very therapeutic because I had to kind of, like, relive and go through everything and, like, put all the emotions and feelings into words again. and. Mm-hmm. So it was very therapeutic. I think it helped me process and get through a lot of it a little bit more. But I will yeah. say, like, during writing it, like, there were times that I felt like I would almost get depressed and have to, like, stop. Just because oh, I had definitely. to relive and feel everything all over again that much. And it's interesting, actually, because right now I'm I'm working on recording the audiobook version of it. So mm-hmm. I haven't read that whole book, like, cover to cover in a while. And actually having to go through it and, like, read it out loud now, oh. it's interesting because I literally was reading one of the chapters the other day recording it and like I almost started crying because I would have cried the whole way through it yeah yeah like reading it again it was like oh my god and like seeing how I was like you know that was only two years ago when that book came out and just seeing like how far I've come and like the things that were going through my head then like it's right it was very emotional for sure there's got to be a part of you that's like very sad for that version of Sarah and also like really on the other flip side is very proud of like, Oh my gosh, like I can't believe that this used to be my life. Look how far I've come. Yeah. You know, there's, there's gotta be kind of a, a really, you know, a mix of emotions on completely opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, there I is. can only imagine it would be like a yeah. roller coaster for me. It is. Cause um, I, I see where I am now and I know how far I've come, but like sometimes when I do, like reflect back on it or think back on things that happened back then, like mm-hmm. it makes me cringe. Right. Because I, I, I picture myself in those situations and what it must have like looked like. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just like, Oh God, like, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird to think back on it sometimes. How um, did you receive any like pushback from friends or family that maybe, you know, were out on those nights with you or, um, you know, that were a little embarrassed for even their part in the, you know, their very small part in the story being told, um, you know, because you are telling your whole truth and nothing but the truth. You're owning right. your story. But, of course, our stories involve other people. Like, did you did you receive any pushback? Um, so one of my, like, I was best friends with this, this one person and we ultimately had like a falling out after I got sober, just our lives just weren't aligning anymore. I was changing, yeah. they were not. And it was just like, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, right. Obviously that person was in it, but yeah. I mean, I didn't blankly like call her out by name or anything, but I through the grapevine have heard that she's been upset about things involved in it. But I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. Like you were a part of that. Yeah, but. and that's, that's for you to deal with. Like, whatever, right. you know, if you're feeling uh, responsible or guilty, or maybe she's even feeling triggered because she's doing the same things that you were doing, and right. her life is still in the same place, and now 
there's probably maybe a little bit of jealousy or a little bit of like, well, she thinks she's better than me because she's sober like that oh, relationship sure. must be so hard to navigate, but you know what girl, that's, that's on you to take care of. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's not, it's not my issue anymore. Um, right. If you're feeling yeah. triggered by this book, like I, I urge you to under, you know, try to figure out why. Right. Yeah. My mom also wasn't the biggest fan initially of the book mm. coming out. Um, Cause obviously I wrote about a lot of things that involved her and right. I mean, I don't want to say she was an enabler, but she acted in ways sometimes that I know enabled me to do the things I was doing when I was younger sure. and led me right into this. So they, like my mom did, she wasn't really excited it was going to come out. And I think she was worried about what people thought about her part mm-hmm. in it, or she felt guilty for it. Or, you know, she, I mean, she did actually ask me at one point if I would change some of it. And I was just like, no. Like, I'm not. <laughs> like, this, this is it. my story, and this was your part in it. And, right. you know, to some degree, too, like, I, I, I believe I told you in the pre-interview, I um, had a sister who was a, um, a drug addict and an alcoholic and a sex addict and all of these different things. And, um, you know, for me, I was just inviting her out to brunch. I didn't realize that she had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And so when, um, when she died due to her drug addiction, I felt very, very guilty and very responsible. And there was a lot of kind of this survivor's guilt in the sense of like, wow, I enabled her and I didn't even know that I was doing it because I didn't know that she had a problem. So for me, I was just inviting her out to brunch. But for her, I was really opening the door to continue this addiction and to make poor life choices. And I realized through, you know, years and years of, um, of therapy and just trying to understand her and the situations that she was in, it's just realizing like, you know what, Anna, like you were just inviting her to brunch. You didn't know you can't take responsibility. These were her choices. Right. And just realizing that it had nothing to do with me. Um, really helped me realize that, you know, this was not my thing. This is not my burden to carry, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that your, you know, your mom or other people who um, are family members of someone who's addicted, you know, I, I really do hope that, um, you know, the sober survivors, I guess you want to call them, you know, do also find that clarity and understanding as well, because it's a hard it's a really hard burden to carry, you know? It is. Yeah, it definitely is. And they always say, like, people that are alcoholics or have any kind of addiction, like, you're not only hurting yourself, like, you're hurting everyone around you. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very true because right. everyone around you that cares about you is going to feel, you know, the repercussions of what you're doing as well. Right. I remember one of my friends got sober maybe, like, two years ago. And I didn't, like, see all of the, this is a different person, but, like, I didn't see all the things, the ways that alcohol was affecting her life. And mm-hmm. so when she told me, I'll be honest with you, I was bummed. I was like, we can't go out anymore. Like, we have so much fun together. Right. And she's just like, no, and I can't do this anymore. Like, I haven't been completely honest with you. I, I just can't be doing this with you anymore. And right. I was like, okay, like, that means our relationship's going to change a little bit. And when we hang out, we're going to be doing different things, but I love you and I can support you. I can do whatever you need to be, you know, to feel supported. But I was so bummed. I was sad. I was like, I'm losing a part of my friend. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely it's an, selfish emotions. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's normal though, because when you yeah. know someone and I'm sure my friend felt that way too, it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, but this was my partner in crime. Like we would always go and do this together and we would go yeah. and drink together. Like we always did all this together. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely does change the dynamics a lot. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, at some point you just have to like be able to support people through what they think is best for themselves mm-hmm. and just give them the love and grace to figure it out. You know, that's Absolutely. really all it is. Yep. Um, so I don't know why I'm like willing up. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's move on to a much happier topic. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your book 30 as fuck. This was yeah. easily one of like my, like one of my favorite things that you did because I'm approaching on 30 and I like, 
I feel so deeply all of the things that you were talking about in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, can we can we can we talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I love. Honestly, that was one of the most fun things I've ever written. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy this so much because I also like. I had started the podcast, and I realized I had this whole other vibe and part of me that people enjoyed hearing about that wasn't just my sobriety. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could be fun, and I could be funny and make jokes and, you know, poke fun at things about women and aging and what we were going through. And I right. wanted to bring that vibe into this book. And so a lot of it is funny. I use a lot of, like, stories and scenarios from my own life that are, like, hilarious and but there's also serious things in it a lot of life lessons and I wanted to make sure I had like a good balance of that but I realized at the end of my 20s I had like my little quarter life crisis and you know these were the things that I learned though in my 20s before turning 30 because we do learn and grow so much in our 20s it's oh my gosh mind-blowing it's insane like the person I was two years ago compared to who I am now is a completely different person. So I had so much fun writing this book and kind of covering all the things we go through and struggle with and learn as women going through their twenties. There was, there was one thing that you said that really resonated with me. And I can't remember if it was in an Instagram post on your feed or on Mm -hmm. a story or in your book surrounding that launch. I can't remember it completely, but it was about, you know, in our 20s, like some of us start developing cellulite or some of us put on a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, so it was like, you know, in your 20s, you have these body insecurities. But at the end of the day, like when you're standing in a room naked with a man that you love, all he sees is a naked woman. He doesn't see right. the cellulite. He doesn't see the extra 10 pounds because you ate pizza three times last week. He doesn't see any of that. He sees the love of his life naked in a room and it's like Disneyland for him. <laughs> that is literally one of my favorite chapters in that book. I forgot which, I think it's thing number eight. I think it's yeah. eight. Um, but it's nobody cares about your cellulite and your man just wants to see you naked. And it's so true. So we true. We get so hard on ourselves. And like, I, I make the joke in that chapter that, you know, anytime I think about like, oh God, we've been eating a lot, out a lot. We've been eating pizza, like burgers, whatever. Like I really need yeah. to like, clean up so I don't gain weight. And then I think to myself, like, this person wants to put a human being inside of me. Like, <laughs> I think I'm okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Seriously, though. And funny enough, it's like, he's probably eating the same thing. So he's oh, also probably he eating that 10 pounds, you know, yeah. like my fiance and I went to Montana last year and it was just, you know, we have a family full of chefs and mixologists so we were really just indulging in food and cocktails and like by the time we got home from our trip I was so bloated like my face was so bloated from all the salt (laughs) and alcohol and sugar and I was like oh my god I feel so gross and I look at him and he's also bloated I'm like okay we're gonna be fine (laughs) He, he doesn't see that you know yeah, exactly. No, it's no like, one notices that. We care, but they actually don't care because they are in love with you. <laughs> yeah, they love you. They don't care. That's, yeah, the bottom line and the big realization. Right. Like, have your fiancé ever had, like, a pimple on his face? And weirdly enough, you still made out with him? <laughs> oh, yeah, I probably tried All to pop it. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, exactly. He doesn't let me pop his. It's so nice. Oh, I'm so gross. Like, I love all weird that. about it. <laughs> I would love it, too. I've made him, like, pop on my back or something, but he will not let me pop his pimples. Oh but I guess God. the point is, it's like, you might have a breakout, but, like, he doesn't care. He's still going to kiss you. Yeah. Um, and if he does care, like, get rid of him, girl. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's more to life than pimples and cellulite. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know you have another book that is, like, coming out, or actually it came out last week during our, our pre-interview, and I want to talk about that, but I'm going to talk yeah. about it a little bit later. What okay. I want to talk about right now is the – the multiple workshops that you do throughout the year, I know mm-hmm. they're constantly changing and, you know, none of them are available right now, but can you just um, give me a little insight uh, in case some of our listeners might be interested in joining your next one? Yeah. So I love creating and doing uh, online workshops for women. I run them through Facebook, so they're super easy to be a part of. 
And I started doing them this year and I just absolutely fell in love with them. And everyone I've done them with, all the women have just been like, oh my God, this was so fun. This was amazing. So I Uh try to do them all on really like motivating, inspirational topics. We did a morning routine one earlier this year called Her Best Fucking Morning. And then, yeah, we just did another one about within the last month and it was called Choosing Your Best Fucking Life. And we talked about, like, all different areas of, like, making sure we're making conscious decisions in our life to achieve this life that we want to create for ourselves. So they're super fun. I do them on Facebook because they're very interactive, and I do videos and worksheets. And then you also get this amazing community of women that we all share our worksheets every day and comment on each other's, and it's just super supportive. And that's my favorite part of them is the community part of it because I think it just makes it – so much better. I've done uh, work, or, uh, workshops before through like Kajabi, and I know a lot of bigger coaches do all their stuff through those kinds of websites where you just pay, you take the course, and that's it. But mm-hmm. I ultimately got away from that this year because I was craving that like connection aspect of it a bit more. And to be honest with you, like these women, if they're you know committed to make a change, they probably also want the support that the Facebook group workshops provide as well. Like, oh, yeah, there's probably things that are uncovered and they're like, well, I don't like waking up early because of whatever, or I don't like having a routine because of whatever, you know, whatever the, you know, hesitations are, I can understand that maybe some of these workshops do bring up some, some things that feel a little hard. So mm-hmm. having that group of women that are doing it with you that are, you know, being vulnerable throughout the process. I mean, I know that it would make me feel inspired and empowered and just like to complete it, you know, like these other women are doing it with me. Like I need to show up for them, you know, not just for myself. We actually had a woman go live in the last one I did, the choosing your best fucking life one. We were talking about relationships that day and Mm -hmm. we actually had one of the women go live and she was like crying and sharing her story of, like, being in an abusive relationship and, like, the comments and everything, like, it made my heart so full that, like, everyone was there, like, supporting her and being, like, oh, my God, like, you're so strong. Like, thank God you got out of it and just, like, really being there and rallying for her. And I was, like, yes, this is exactly why I do this because, like, not only was she feeling safe enough to share that with all of us, but then she had all these people waiting and ready with, like, open arms. Oh, my gosh. And it must feel, feel so good to be like, I created the space for her to do that. Like, I it feels amazing. Opportunity. You know, like, I did that, you know? Yeah. Like, I love these workshops. They're so cool. And, like, I plan on doing a lot more of them. And mm-hmm. I do keep them, like, limited. They're not available all the time. I do them very, like, hey, you have a week to join. We're going to do it for a week. And then it's done because I want people to, yeah. like, take advantage, jump in when they're happening and really commit and not be able to like push it off until a later time. Like, nope, you got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> if this is resonating you like with you at all, you need to purchase right now because we're starting next week. And right, exactly. the fact that you've recognized that you'd like to make this change means you need to get in now. Like, yeah, no more yeah. excuses, guys. I love that. Yep. yep. I love that. So they're all like, surrounding the ideas of like personal development and self-help and you know motivational right yeah um and you have one coming up which I know is still a secret because you're still working on it um so if anybody wants to find out what your next workshop is how would they connect with you to get into the next workshop um, basically just follow me on Instagram I'm very active on Instagram that's my biggest page of I insta story all day, every day. So I am like, if I'm having a workshop, you will be well aware of it because I will be posting it and sharing it everywhere. So yeah, just basically follow me on social media. You, I mean, I have a website with a newsletter sign up, so you could also do that if you want it to more of an email person. I personally mm-hmm. don't send a lot of email newsletters out. I prefer to do everything over social media. Right. I think it's a lot more personal, you know. Yeah. I think I'm sent, it's not, you know. Sarah shows up on Instagram at, like, 6 in the morning with her hair in a bun, like, in her (laughs) robe. And it's so funny because I have a robe, too, and I'm always on Instagram in it. But I love how much we love our morning robes. (laughs) Yeah. My mom keeps telling telling me to burn mine. She's like, that's not cute. Your fiancé is not going to find you sexy. I'm like, whatever. 
If and he I can sleep, love me, he can love me in a, a room. I okay. sleep <laughs> with it. Like, I sleep with it like a baby blanket at night. Because you it's really? like, oh, oh my gosh, yes. It's in between oh, me and my fiancé in bed. How funny. He just, he just finds it funny. He's like, whatever. Like, if that makes you feel better, just do it. Yeah. Like, there's nothing better than just feeling warm. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Feeling, feeling safe. Um, yeah. So, Sarah is super, super real on her Instagram stories. And I love it. It's like one story, she's like drinking coffee in a robe. And then the next story, she's like, bam, beautiful, ready to hit the day. <laughs> and I, sometimes I just laugh out loud because I'm like, I love the transformations. <laughs> yeah, I let, I let people in on pretty much everything. I don't, nothing's off, uh, off limits here. <laughs> right, right. I, I definitely, I tried to do the same um, with the same idea of like, okay, I need to respect my fiance's privacy. I need to respect right. other people around me. Um, but for me, I'm like, Let's talk about diarrhea, guys. Right? <laughs> Let's do it because I'm not the only one going through this right now. Yep. Um, so can let's talk about the book that you just released. What's what's next for Sarah Ordo? Um, let's talk about it. All right. So I just released 32 Badass Things About Being Sober, which is a more short, quick, sweet type book. It's like a coffee table type book, an easy read. You can easily read it in one day. Um, I wanted to create something else because I have Sober as Fuck, I have Sober as Fuck the Workbook, and I wanted to create something else that wasn't like a long fucking novel you had to read for people that were sober or something mm -hmm. you could give as a gift to someone that you knew was sober or needed a little bit of inspiration. So I wanted to just create yeah. something a little bit quicker, easier. So I just put that one out. So it covers 32 things that are badass about being sober, things you gain when you remove alcohol from your life. And I think it's just a lot of things that we don't even realize or appreciate sometimes until yeah. you actually stop and think about it. Like, you know, obviously no hangovers, having a fatter wallet. So it's a lot of things like that. I even cover like sober sex and there's a lot of fun. Simple, digestible. That. Yeah. Um, and I, I like it because I, I don't know if it was on your stories or in your feed, but I like when you said, you know, when people come over and they're confused as to why you went sober, like the coffee book is right there for them to just flip through and try to understand, you know? Right. Yep. It's something and someone can look at real quick. Yeah. I wanted it to be easy like that. It's even for people that maybe are, you know, not comfortable telling their full story yet. It's like, well, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm getting sober because, because I want to lose weight or because I want my skin to look better or, you know. I want to be right. more present. You don't even yep. need to tell your story, guys. Yep. Um, like, nobody needs to hear your story unless you're comfortable talking about it. But this book, I mean, glowing skin, like, down. Let's do that. Right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> glowing skin is enough for me. Yeah. Um, it's a perk. <laughs> how, how can people purchase these books? So all of my books are on Amazon and Kindle. Um, most of them are on barnesandnoble.com now, I think, um, and I have them all on my website, sarahordo.com. Everything's really on my website. Everybody can kind of find me, but I'm under my name on there, on YouTube. Y'all can find me all over the place. <laughs> Podcast, YouTube. Yeah, yeah everything. Noble, Instagram, and your Instagram name, just for the record, just uh, in case people have trouble searching for you is? Yeah, it's 24lux underscore Sarah, or you, if you type in Sarah Ordo, it'll come up. Nice. Um, it is it is still my uh, business name at the beginning of it from 24lux hair and makeup. I I don't want to change it because I've already put it on my first books, and so I'm, like, nervous to change my username. So I, I, yeah, I don't change it the same now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. It shows, why 24? Was that the age you were when you started the company? No. I actually, um, 20, this is so morbid, but this is how I came up with the name. Um, okay. I love Marilyn Monroe. I love all, like, old Hollywood stuff. And oh, okay. I was trying to think of a name for my business. I really liked the word Lux, and I wanted yeah. that, but I felt like I needed something else on it. And yeah. so I just started, like, Googling things, and I Googled Marilyn Monroe, and 24 is actually the number of the crypt where her body is kept. <laughs> Deep! <laughs> <laughs> I know. A lot of people I think it's like 24-7, like Lux, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, it's actually where Marilyn Monroe's body is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> How many times do you tell people that story? Because I feel like I just uncovered a secret. <laughs> Not 
super awesome. I mean, if someone <laughs> asks, I pile down. I'm like, yeah, this is actually what it is. Dark and scary or luxury hair care, whatever. Same thing. Right. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Everybody loves Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> She's an icon. I totally right. get it. And I love that it has a story behind it. I honestly mm-hmm. thought it was just the age that you started the business. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sarah. Um, it has been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being authentic, sharing your story and inspiring so many women or people to, you know, start their own businesses and become an author if they have something to say. Um, obviously inspiring people to get sober too is also like a great benefit of your work. Um, yeah. I'm I'm so thankful for you supporting us and the Vampire Diaries podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um I'm going to end the podcast now. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on. And we'll see you next episode. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.